Hello everyone and welcome at the Echo Ambassador podcast series, What's on the Agenda? A series of episodes by Echo Ambassadors to put social justice issues on the agenda. Issues that are currently a hot topic in the social debate or issues that should be a hot topic in the social debate, according to Echo Ambassadors. My name is Pravini Baburam and I'm hosting this podcast. And in this fifth episode, I'm excited to welcome my three guests, Amna Chadli, Yusha Fruzesh and Slim El Ela. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Before we get started, I just want to make sure that the listeners know who you are. So we have Emna, who is an international business innovation major at In Holland University of Applied Sciences. She's the initiator of the Student Dilemma podcast and acts as a buddy for students at the university. We also have Nusha, who is a communications major at the Utrecht University of Applied Sciences. She's involved in the network diversity and inclusion there and has coordinated several projects, including a project against menstrual poverty, aiming at free access to hygiene products at the university. And Slim, who is a mathematics, physics, and astronomy major at the University of Amsterdam. And Slim is head of research and development at Palace Athena Group and has been elected as teacher of the year. Congratulations. Wow. (laughs) And welcome to all of you. Really happy to have you here. And I'm just going to cut to the chase and ask you right away, what's on the agenda? Nusha, do you want to start? Well, what's on the agenda? Everything is on the agenda at this moment. But um, for me, as an Iranian woman, uh, the political issue uh, in Iran and the fight for freedom in Iran is uh, on the agenda at this moment. And uh, we hear a lot about it now, right, in the news. Um, I'm curious to hear from you. What are you hearing in the news that you think is really important to, you know, to, to know about? And perhaps also, is there anything that you're missing in the coverage about Iran? Absolutely. There is a lot missing because um, somehow it seems like the Western media is missing out on the actual uh, issue, what's going on. Um, lately there has been more coverage, more accurate coverage, but, um, the mainly focus is on the nuclear deal with the Iranian uh, regime. And, um, the focus is uh, mostly on economic issues rather than the fight for freedom and autonomy, which people of Iran are fighting for. So. And I, I know you, you, you know, you also speak from lived experience. Yes. Um, I'm curious to hear from Amna and Slim. What are your thoughts on Iran? Yeah, that's um, what I know about Iran is um, actually uh, very innovative. First of all, I, lo- I know a lot of good things about Iran and know about Tehran. <laughs> and uh, it's very innovative uh, as a city, Tehran. And I'm actually sad what's going on right now. And uh, we can't really know uh, what's going on. The news has been, uh, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, I also come from Tunisia and I had a revolution and, uh, I, I can imagine how is it to be frustrated there and how is it to be locked there and things. And, uh, you know, you feel a bit out of control if you are living there, maybe for us right now, we just see it, we judge it from a picture from a distance, but, uh, no one can feel, uh, what's, what they are having or what they are feeling uh, exactly. So uh, I hope that peace goes to Iran and I hope like equality and I hope freedom spread into Iran. And that's not only into Iran, but you know, all over the world. 
And um, I can only support you and just keep the voice raising. Thank and, you. And uh, one day it will be solved, hopefully. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Emna Slim? Yeah, I actually have a friend, a good friend, uh, Ali Moen. Um, also very good teacher, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he has actually also a family in Iran. And what I noticed from him was that normally he's a very, you know, uh, very focused person, but lately I've noticed he has been a bit worried about his family in Iran yeah. and he's been talking uh, to me sometimes about it. And I was actually wondering, um, are there any uh, things that are happening here in the Netherlands? Uh, are there any things that the university is doing for you as an, sort of, uh, uh, an, uh, yeah, someone with Iranian backgrounds uh, to support you in this, in a sense, because for Ali, in this case, my friend, um, he was basically so occupied with these, uh, with the problems in Iran that he wasn't able to fully focus on his studies. And yeah. um, I can imagine there being new first years, uh, new people doing the university. And I'm not, I've, I haven't actually heard anything of a, like a, an effort, like, okay, hey, uh, you're an Iranian student, come here if you need help. Um, uh, we can make it easier for you. We can support you. I have, haven't actually uh, heard that from the universities uh, that, I, uh, that I attended, in this case, University of Amsterdam and Vrije Universiteit. Um, so I actually was wondering, have you heard anything from the university and educational institutions uh, to support you in this, uh, yeah, in this hard, hard times, basically? Well, at my uh, own university, I haven't. But at, I must say, basically everyone who knows me, uh, who is mm. aware of the situation, is constantly asking me how I'm doing, and which is very kind and very sweet. Uh, to be honest, sometimes I just don't want to talk about it. I can imagine, and yeah. um, uh, I go to my university because uh, my education goes on, my, my uh, work <laughs> goes on. So sometimes um, I feel like it's an escape because right now I'm living in double reality. And um, yeah, basically um, for me, work and study is uh, something to shift my focus from. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's no, no uh, specific uh, initiative. That. Would you want a specific initiative to be taken? Because I'm not sure if you have other, other, any, uh, any other Iranian friends here. Or, yeah. Um, would you want that from these institutions or not? Uh, I wouldn't know. Actually. Yeah, well, the, the thing is, I almost feel like for every uh, Iranian living in diaspora, it's very kind people offering personal uh, support. But at this moment, uh, it's not about us as individuals. We wish to have support on being the voice of the people of Iran, signing petitions and joining us at rallies. Uh, that will be more helpful. Um, yeah, basically that. Yeah. And Yusha, you, uh, you talk about, you know, uh, double realities. Yeah. And also, please, uh, because uh, I know it's... Um, it is also hard to talk about. So please yes. also let us know what your boundaries of are course. in a sense. Uh, but if you're willing to share uh, for those who are, who can't imagine, you know, what it's like to, to, yeah. to, to have to deal with that. Can you share with us uh, yes. what those realities are and what impact this has for you? Yeah, well, um, a very simple uh, reality check is the fact that we are here uh, sitting together uh, without our heads being covered uh, with uh, mail, um, that's actually a crime. We are committing a crime uh, 
in the uh, Sharia law of Iran. Um, that's a very small thing, which we most people living in the West or a free country don't think about, but this is a crime. Um, I mean, eating lunch together as students in a canteen uh, with mixed uh, genders, because there is a gender segregation going on, or as a female, when you stop, uh, when you uh, step into the bus in Iran, you have to uh, sit in the back. There are separate doors. Men go in on the uh, fr- um, door in the front, and women door in the back. Um, yeah, so it's uh, very surrealistic, and uh, it's not only about women. I must say, it's about. Uh, any marginalized group, uh, think about the LGBTQ plus uh, family, think about um, minorities. Um, it's a good thing to know Iran has a very diverse population. Um, we have um, Aluchis, we have Kurds, we have Arabs, we have uh, Azeri people. Uh, we have, everybody has a different ethnicity, different religions, different ways of living and culture and celebrating life. and Basically, that itself is prohibited because uh, you have to identify as Iranian and you have to follow the Shia um, ideology uh, in Iran. Otherwise, uh, yeah, you're basically screwed. <laughs> yeah, so these type of things, yeah. that's a double reality for me being aware of that yeah. and living my life here. I've, yeah, it sometimes feels like a twilight zone. Yeah. Thank you so much also for illustrating, you know, what, uh, yeah. what those realities are. And what I'm also uh, curious about, uh, if we kind of look at the, you know, the, the uh, maybe take on a global perspective where um, when it comes to the relationship between the West, you know, and yeah. uh, the Middle East uh, or, you know, African, um, Asian countries, uh, there is a, a tendency within the West to kind of act as a, savior around you know lgbtq plus and and women's rights um and iran you know uh, is in that sense you know considered as an enemy of the west yeah so how do you deal with that uh that aspect when you know you know um there's also some dynamics that that kind of um reproduce the western you know uh, supremacy in that sense yeah. How do you how how do you navigate that? Well, it's difficult because um, sometimes you feel like you know something, and then it ends up to be completely different from what you know. And um, the more I speak to people from Iran inside Iran, because I have family there, as well as uh, Iranians in diaspora, I feel like um, we are standing on our own. Because it's uh, one thing for people to be vocal about, yeah, we support you, we support the fight for freedom. And it's the other thing to have legislation and um, deals going on uh, out of the public, uh, which are uh, not only dehumanizing for the Iranian people, but also keeping this power uh, um, there, actually. Yeah. Could you maybe give an example, if that's okay, of course? Yeah, of course. One of the examples is actually hilarious to me because you have uh, the United Nations uh, Women's uh, Council. And um, this year, 
the regime of uh, Ayatollah Khomeini has uh, Khomeini Khomeini sorry these names goddamn <laughs> <laughs> his regime has been um, being made member of the UN Women and um, yeah I. I the only thing, I'm a very visual person, so the only thing comes in my mind when I say this, I see a clown. Because it's so ridiculous. How is it even possible that we have an organ of the United Nations, which is specifically there for women and women's rights, and yet you have a member, a state member, who is so um, opposite of that? Do, do you think that uh, corruption is involved in this, or...? Like you, you know, I feel like um, I'm very careful with using the word corruption because uh, I'm also aware of a lot of comp conspiracy theories going on and I don't want to feed into that. But if you look at the situation, there is no freaking way that this has nothing to do with corruption. Because when, uh, when, you, when you were uh, explaining and uh, sharing your story, it reminds me a lot of Tunisia because we also, uh, back in the days... Uh, girls go to school and boys go to a different school and we don't mix and we have different interests. So I think um, that most of the Islamic countries uh, now by the days is different. But uh, at one point we were all the same. But uh, I believe like when people are united together and when they have a one vision and they want to change... Uh, we, 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 we did like small drop that impacted the whole Arab spring. Yes. So, uh, and the reason why I asked you about corruption, because we were very corrupted country yeah. and still we are. And, and I believe that's one of the first problems that we need to solve, yeah. uh, to solve the other problems, to clear uh, the bigger picture. So oh, that's yeah. why I'm telling you, um, is it this problem? If we can face this, if we can empathize these things, make people more aware about what's going on, and then they are more careful on uh, decisions, yeah. situations, and okay, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. It's not like yeah. Well, uh, of course, there is corruption going on in Iran. I thought you were talking about the specific uh, thing about the UN women. No, 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 no. And like, oh yeah, no offense to any person no, no. or any organization yeah. in this world, but just talking about realities and what's going yeah, on. Yeah, well, yeah, reality is uh, for the past uh, 43 years, yeah. um, Iran has been uh, under this current regime. It's funny because um, before 1979, we had a monarchy, which was also corrupt, and people came into a revolution hoping for better uh, and for democracy and most Iranians feel like the revolution back in 79 has been hijacked by theology and this ideology of uh, the current regime. And for the past 43 years, uh, people have been pushing and have been protesting and everything. But uh, the, the way they counter the protesters, it's horrible. Uh, for example, in 2009, we had, again people uprising against the regime. And what happened was um, that uh, the regime has uh, IRGC, that's uh, basically their uh, military force. And they came on the streets with motorcycles and threw acid at women who yeah. were uh, protesting. We, we also so, the same. They even, the old regime, they even hired like militias from Afghanistan. Yes. Then they paid 
but people did not give up and no. everyone on the street and like at the end the power to people you know yes. like you don't have to be scared resist resist and then until yeah. until it will happen yeah, yeah. i can definitely imagine because like i do have a an egyptian background yeah and in egypt at least i am actually despite my background i'm pretty ignorant on it to be honest um for some reason i've always not wanted to think about it um but okay But what I've heard is basically like, okay, you had, had the Arab Spring and then eventually there was an uprise and uh, we kicked out the, the dictator of the, at that time. And then, but I feel now that the problem isn't solved still, right? And what I'm, I, what I'm sort of wondering the whole time, every time these kind of things happen mm. is, okay, what can be the right solution? Because people wanting freedom is one thing, but actually achieving it and having a, Um, a government that actually does what the people want. That's another thing, yeah. right? And uh. this step, I feel like every time this actually happens, I'm, I'm not sure what the situation yeah. is now in Tunisia, but... But I can, yeah, I can say something about it. Uh, when the French, they had the revolution, they stayed 100 years to get results. Mm. When you want to change something into the micro society in your organization, it takes even years to implement an idea or implement a solution. Just imagine it on a macro society, on a whole country to change everything, to change the whole system, to deal with people that are not uh, used to freedom. They have no idea how to be free and how to deal with it and how to deal with this new frustration, situation, uh, unemployment, economic crisis. So you need to have a plan, but this plan is not like a magic Uh, as the Dutch said, hot floods, uh, hot yeah. floods uh, moment. So that's impossible, you know. If you say I want it right now, that, that doesn't happen. But for me, in Tunisia, still the situation similar to Egypt. Maybe in Egypt is even better than mm -hmm. us. But how I see it, it's a slowly, slowly, and then you can only reflect to a big thing, to big changement in the country after a generation. This is my own opinion, but yeah. I don't know how you guys see sees this so, because I can just someone to change something immediately. You know, if you want to change, you change long term. If you want to just show you changed, you change short term. Yeah, I understand. But I think my biggest fear is basically that we're that these changes are sort of almost. I don't know, viewed from a Western point of view and fueled by Western viewpoints, right? Yeah. And then I also feel like that the Western nations, this is all speculation, by the way, I'm again, not an expert on this, but are basically making use and actually abusing the fact that this is happening. And that could be contributing to the fact that this change isn't happening fast enough, quote unquote. I understand that fast must be long-term, but I was wondering, since you guys seem to know quite much more than me i was wondering okay so what role does um, um do, do you think that um first of all um i, I don't necessarily think we should uh westernize yeah. these nations mm -hmm. which i think a lot of people want into in the west sort of that's one and the second thing is do you feel like um, even though these nations uh in the west are saying okay we're helping everyone Are they actually helping? And maybe they're actually maybe doing the exact opposite of helping. Yeah. If I may, um, you know, uh, chime in, because I think you, you raise a really important uh, point, Slim. Uh, and that's also what I was, um, um, what I was trying to, you know, uh, put on the table is um, if the West, and we've seen it many, many times in mm. history, 
you know, is involved in, you know, uh, uh, political uh, change in uh, often, you know, formerly uh, colonized uh, countries, then the regime change is often uh, a puppet regime for the West, yeah. right? Exactly. And I, I'm curious to hear also from, from you, Nusha, but also from Emna and Slim, um, we know what we don't want, but what would, uh, 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 you know, uh, an inclusive society uh, in Iran, for instance, look like? Is that uh, um, a reflection of the West or is there, you know, uh, an Iranian way uh, for an inclusive society for instance when it comes to islam which yeah. in in the west is considered you know as a problem rather than uh, a strength yeah. so how, how do we deal with that so i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that yes i get it um i can of course only speak for the well for myself and for the iranian people uh, for us human rights has been part of our culture um if you look at the very first human rights ever written, it was done by Cyrus the Great uh, on the Cyrus Cylinder. The very first human rights was written. And um, this is, I think, 1500, 2000 years ago. So uh, human rights and the freedom of choice, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of expression has always been so interparted with our culture. And... Um, that's actually the reason I believe that Iran, as it is now, has such a diverse uh, co uh, community. So, no, I don't believe that uh, human rights are something Western. Actually, I don't even want to believe that human rights is a political point of view for which you can be for or against. It doesn't matter uh, on what continent you live or in which country or how you identify. Human rights is your rights basically it's not a privilege it should be a right do you mind if i play devil's advocate i don't necessarily believe in this but i think it was an interesting read mm -hmm. i'm not sure if you have ever read uh, harari is um for instance you uh, all know harari yeah. yes i have um but for there he basically posits that humanism right that's uh, belief in human rights etc um is actually a religion in a sense, right? Because yeah. it's not, you, you can't objective, objectively say that human rights are actually a thing. Uh, of course, I believe in human yeah. rights, but um, so sort of a fear in me is, okay, so um, I believe, yeah, 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 I believe in human rights, yes. but I think the way we view it, um, because we've sort of been indoctrinated in a sense here, are very much from a Western point of view. And, I do believe maybe the original version of human rights were written from um, uh, were written in Iran. Yeah. Um, however, um, I do wonder: is, is the position of not wanting to make it a political point is, can that be more hurting than um, than good? If you know what I mean. So that's sort of my fear. I'm not sure how. Yeah. You would think about that. I still think that Parvini's point about um, the West, you know, positing itself as a savior and then meddling in the change of regimes. Yeah. Um, for instance, Syria is also a very good example, mm -hmm. right? Um, the US knew what was best for Syria. No, apparently not, right? Uh, so I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe a more concrete question would be, would you want the Western nations to meddle, quote unquote, and if so, in what way? Okay, but 
sorry. To me, these are two different things. Mm -hmm. We are talking about Western um, yeah, meddling and, and we are talking about human rights. Mm -hmm. Those are two separate things. The fact that the Western world has uh, capitalized on quote unquote human rights and democracy and uh, stuff like that, that's a separate discussion. But basic human rights is about dignity and about respect and about uh, human connection. It's to me about me having respect for myself, first of all, knowing myself and therefore having the same respect for others to have a choice, to have dignity, to have uh, their lives as, as they want, want it to be. So those two discussions are separate. And uh, the very fact that the Middle East is where it's now is basically because of the West, because of the meddling, because of dr uh, drawing borders that don't make any sense and stuff like that. So no, for the Iranian people, we do not want uh, a, a white savior come and uh, give us guns or whatever money or this stuff. We have money. Iran is uh, one of the largest uh, oil producers in the world. That's not the issue. What we want from the Western uh, governments to stop doing business with the current regime, to stop supporting them, to stop uh, putting money in their pockets because that money won't come to the Iranian people. That money goes to pressing the Iranian people. And that's the difference. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. uh, I actually see a really nice bridge to our next topic because we do have to, <laughs> to, uh, and, and then I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, um, invite you to, to share. And if you want, you can, you know, respond to, to news in that sense. But um, what I want to get to is, you know, this, this interesting reflection on the West, because we talk about uh, the West pointing fingers, you know, towards everyone else but themselves. And I think it's interesting to see to what extent the West, and let's, you know, make it even more concrete, the Netherlands um, is living up to the standards, you know, that they uh, uh, pose for others. And I know, Emna, you know, uh, there's something that you wanted to address yeah, uh, which relates to this question. So perhaps you can share with us what's on the agenda for you. And if there's any other reflections you want to share about the discussion so far, please do. All right. So I have a lot of things that I can add and I'm really like getting more and more sparkling ideas to say stuff, to clarify the pictures. But let's move on um, to uh, our topic. So, um, yeah, I'm Emna. I'm from Tunisia. I'm from the third world country, from actually Africa. And I only knew that when I moved here to the Netherlands, because when they asked me, uh, where are you from? I just Tunisia and say, oh, where is that? And say, this North Africa. Oh, and then I start like zooming out to myself because before I never thought like I'm from here, here, here. I thought I'm, I'm from Tunisia. We're all, all Tunisian. So there is no problem, you know, but then and now I find out myself classified if you are somewhere uh, from somewhere you have different rules. And I was actually at the beginning, I was like, what's this? Now, if you are non-European, uh, you can't work. Uh, you need a special permit for that. If you uh, are non-European and you want to study here, you can't have an OV card. Uh, if you are non-European and you want to, uh, let's say, um, like, you, you need to prove that you have an... Uh, an amount of money, X amount of money in your bank account to show your, you, you can survive here. Otherwise, you are not welcome. If you are non-European, uh, you can't uh, really do whatever you want because I had a driving license 
Uh, I needed to change it and I needed to do a new one. So I find out my, my life is just like um, slowly, slowly changing to the life that I'm not doing, you know. So there are many stuff that my friends can just do and I can't just do. It was like very strange. Why? Why I can just go and work whatever I want? And then what I noticed after what happened to the students who just come to study here, slowly, slowly they get out of this school and you find them working to collect money to study, which they don't have time to study, which they end up drop out and don't finish. And which is a really, really dangerous cycle. We are into it and I see it and I notice it. I have classmates, they just arrived. You need to, uh, if you are non-European, of course, you need to pay um, 8,000 something to study. And, uh, and if you are an European, so you just pay 2,000. And I do understand that's the game, you know, in advance and you want to do it. But what I don't understand, why you can just work, you know? And if you are like uh, saying, okay, uh, many people apply to cause for a, stu a student visa to can just work. Why don't you put different rules? If you don't make your points, you are not allowed to work anymore. Why don't you give me the chance from the beginning and say to me, okay, uh, you can work as any person, but if you don't make your points, if you don't succeed in your study, let's say uh, the study takes four years, if you don't make it in six years, we are, you are not allowed to work and you have different. But no, what happened, I have uh, friends, they will end up, uh, doing um, uh, freelancers so that's the plan b and uh, what you do freelancers to work whenever you want and you will never make enough uh, money to pay your studies to pay your rent we know life here how it is you end up having minimum wage you end up paying for your insurances because if you are non-european i need two insurances i don't need one insurance and uh, you will get into cycle turbulent let's say it's hard to go out. And when you leave your country, uh, everyone is behind you supporting. You know, you must succeed because you already invested a lot of money. So you can only succeed and you can't, you know, you can tell them this, this is how it is. This is how it is. It's hard. You can only hustle to arrive. Yeah. And what we find out that the most non-international students ending up at Uber Eats, rain, cold, uh, Let's say the other word is not allowed here. <laughs> so it's, it's like a whole cycle that we don't notice, we don't see. But these people, they don't have other choice. They choose to come and study here. They thought it's a westernized life. You, your classmates are partying, traveling, having fun, going out. And you find yourself, you, you want to do that, you can do it. But you, you actually can do it. Because yeah. you have other things that you need to know, you, know, you need to do. Which is, I think, it's a bit unfair. It's really a, a bit unfair. I understand the game. I understand we choose to come here. That's true. But why you make my life hard? And if I want to work, I need to, like the person who needs to uh, hire me, needs to apply for a special permit, which takes five weeks for the government to accept. And if you don't like the job, so you need to wait for another five weeks. And who is doing, who is going to do that? As a student, what kind of work you are going to do? So it's like student job in a bar or in a restaurant or small jobs, you know? Do you think that uh, an owner can, uh, uh, yeah, can wait for you for this long amount of time to get you? Because what, what special are you? You are not that special. Yeah. So it's not easy. 
it's and it's it's I can imagine a lot. And first of all, thank you, Amna, for for uh, really uh, giving us so much insight into what it actually means to come here and all the obstacles uh, and actually inequality, you know, you encounter yeah. when you are trying to make a life. And uh, what I'm curious about, because you talk about, you know, non-Europeans. Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious to hear from Nusha and Slim as, you know, people who are considered European in the sense that you, you know, you've been living here for a long time. On paper. <laughs> exactly, yeah. on paper. That actually but solves a lot of stuff. It, yeah, but, <laughs> but indeed, um, you're not always perceived as European, no. right? So, and I'm curious when you hear Amna's uh, experiences, what are your reflections, you know, with all kind of the, yeah, the, the complexity of, of our lived realities? What are your, yeah, reflections? Um, yeah, so it's very funny because um, I've, so in, in the Netherlands, I have to say, um, I am definitely on the other side because the reality of what's written on paper is much more important than what's actually happening for governments. That's bureaucracy, right? And <clears throat> since everything on paper is fine, um, I do enjoy all the quote unquote benefits or maybe even rights that you don't enjoy, which is very annoying for the people who don't have those rights. I have experienced this though. I went on exchange to Japan for half a year and all the things that you mentioned, I had the exact same thing. Mm. I, I had to sort of show that I have had X amount of money in my bank account. Uh, the driver's license was an issue. I didn't have a public transport thing yeah. for students. Um, I didn't have to pay the full tuition. I just paid the 2000 euros from the university of Amsterdam because I was on exchange. Yeah. But there I actually realized, oh, wow it's actually much harder if you are both dealing with sort of the social problems and, and the yeah. bureaucra bureaucratic problems. Yeah. Um, so I do understand, or at least to a certain degree for half a year only, you've been living this much longer, um, the struggle. As for the social point of view here, um, I've been very privileged. I, ha I live in Amsterdam, um, very multicultural uh, subgroups and I never really um, experienced any racism myself. Um, I always got all the opportunities I wanted. My mother always supported me when I needed extra classes or whatever. Um, how, however, I, I do feel like this is very funny and actually enjoy it, funnily enough. If I go to some place else in the Netherlands and someone looks at me, the usually the, the first reaction is usually, oh, that's just... That's just, you know, a stupid person or something along mm -hmm. those lines. And if in sort of in, 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 in sort of the Dutch stereotypical sense, oh, hij is een kut Marokkaantje, right? That's sometimes I hear that, right? And um, I don't mind it, honestly, um, personally, but it, I understand it's the issue. And um, that by itself, if you're not equipped to deal with those kind of people, you get less opportunities. Your name um, uh, actually... Um, gets you less opportunity. So, but I let think, me ask you, um, Slim, because thank you so much, no, uh, first of all, for, for sharing this. And what you, you're sharing is, you know, that's the experience you, uh, you talk about in terms of being, you know, um, um, uh, being uh, racialized and stereotyped. Mm. It's, it, it doesn't happen that often. It only happens when you, you know, get out of the Amsterdam bubble. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but... Um, 
so so in that sense, it's not structural for you. No, exactly. So uh, what is your take on people who do identify as Moroccan and who do have to deal with that every single day? Yeah, that's horrible, of course. Yeah. And um, I have no idea on how to solve it, of course, yeah. except for raising this issue, making it, uh, yeah, talking about it like we're just doing right now. And I think by extent, um, sort of symptoms of this can be found in rules that Emna is actually experiencing. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah that's, that's why I always, um, say to everyone, you need to understand what's going on, what's the journey and w why this is happening. See it like a timeline, see before, see from the history, see, uh, pretend, um, project to the future. And then you have the whole picture because if you judge on one situation, you never know that person where he or she comes from, you know, you never know what kind of struggle they already had. And then when you arrive, you expect them to be the same, but the, yeah. it's not, it's not the yeah. case, you know, yeah. it's not the case. And this is, uh, this is not only a struggle here, but it's a struggle in all over the world. But then for me, I have the same thing that they don't expect me to be a, a North African. I, I, I'm always a Spanish or Mexican somehow. I don't know why. That's also uh, interesting, same. right? Kind of the ideas. Yes. Well, or Italian yeah. or like they start like guessing, but then same. sometimes I'm from Israel and like they just, people like love to quiz to find out if they are right or not. It's not yeah. about you. Yeah, it's yeah, about yeah. their ego, Sam. Uh, and I do understand. And then, oh, but they say, oh, Emna, you are not like uh, uh, like the others. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, you are cool and open oh, and yeah. this and that, and you are not like the others. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm completely like the others, but you guys don't know the others because you don't give them a chance to know themselves. I'm cool because I accept and I can react with you and give you a right picture but the others if they have the different way to to show themselves why don't you give them a chance yeah why not i i don't know nusha if you also wanted to chime in uh, this particular topic yeah well i i also have this experience of uh when people mostly white people when they meet me they don't have a clue where i'm from and uh the men are always to jump on and say oh you look so exotic oh. And uh, <laughs> I have the same. <laughs> yes. And, um, and then they're like, where are you from? And I'm like, where you think I'm from? Because I like to play that game. And um, exactly. They're sometimes like Spanish or Italian or Southern American. And they're looking with a shine in their eyes when they're saying these countries. And then I drop the bomb. I say Iran. And they're like, oh, Okay. Well, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and immediately I see something change in their eyes and the, the um, judgment is there. It, exactly. So it's, yeah. Sometimes I play with it and I say, I'm from Dubai. And they're like, whoa. And then yeah. I say, I'm sure I'm from Saudi Arabia. And they're like, you know, it, yeah. I just like love to see how would you box me, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And the uh, first thing is like, if they know something about your country, a word oh, yeah. or a bad word or a song or this or oh that, God, yeah. or, or they can just go like completely boom, 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 boom. And then they say, oh, that's for us is normal. That's freedom of speech. And why not? We don't speak about it. But you know, inside they are mean about it. You know, yeah. I say, okay, for me also is normal. And that's also freedom of speech. Yeah. And I'm going to do the same. Do you think or yeah. not? Like, it's crazy, but 
it's not it's it should not be like this uh since we live in very advanced society uh tight stress people they don't have the time to open up chill to speak to each other yeah you don't have a cafe where But you can i think you know uh it begs the question if that is the case are we actually advanced then yeah Right. We so redefining no. the idea of advanced and if we think that's about stress and high, you know, tight schedules uh, rather than connection and slowing down, et cetera. Uh, I think that uh, that is also the discussion we have within diversity and inclusion. Uh, who gets to define what advanced is and modern and, and who gets to define what, you know, inclusion also in that sense uh, means. But um, the time flies and I, wow. I also have to check in with uh, Slim when it comes to uh, putting things on the agenda. So if I may ask Slim, what's on the agenda for you? Um, I was actually um, quite interested in the role of technology in education um, and how it can actually disproportionately impact minority groups. So let me uh, explain. Um, so... If you think about it, these apps like uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram, they really feed into your sort of, you know, you know primal brain in a sense, right? And um, yeah, we, if you're bored, you can just whip out your phone and just watch some TikTok or yeah. watch some Instagram. And I think we have all lost the sense of being bored, right? And what's the consequence of that? Well, we're basically training ourselves to pick up our phone Once we're bored. So let's say you have a problem, a problem like let's say a homework problem or something hard. And once it becomes hard, pick up your phone and you lose your focus. Okay, and how does this impact minority groups? I think this is what I'm thinking about. I, I wasn't able to find any research on it, unfortunately. Um, but let's say you're our first generation parent here or um, yeah, first generation parents and you have kids here and you don't have enough money because that usually happens, right? Um, okay, you don't have enough money, so you have to work a lot. At the same time, you have to keep your kids entertained. They have to, you know, uh, be able to join the others. So you give them the phones. And since uh, most parents didn't have the same apps as we are having right now, they don't know the consequences of that. And because they're, they can't, take the time to be as involved with their kids as others who do have more money. It, um, they, they suffer from both the structural issue of not knowing what's actually happening on the phones. At the same time, their kids suffer from these same focus problems that I was just highlighting. Yeah. So um, I was actually wondering, let's say I have a kid. Would I give them a phone? And when would I give them the phone, right? Now, of course, I would give them a phone, but when? Um, I have no idea and how to handle that actually. And I think it's a bigger problem and I don't think it's talked about at all. Um, because, um, and he, on this, on this topic, there has been research. There are, our ability to concentrate is actually declining and, um, our, and, uh, and in the past, one of the, um, there's a lot of studies about this as well. One of the greatest indicators of success in a Western society is your ability to delay gratification. So we're basically training ourselves to be unsuccessful in a sense. And it's also, you know, instant gratification is less valuable for us psychologically than, you know, actual hard work, et cetera. Mm. Um, so the, that was my agenda point. Um, yes. Thank you, Slim. And yeah. 
what I'm uh, uh, curious about when you address this, uh, you refer to also the socioeconomic situation yeah, of exactly. parents in that sense. And I think one of the discussions that we often have when we talk about this kind of issue is to what extent is this a socioeconomic uh, issue or a, you know, a racialized issue? Because you, you, you started out with saying the impact of this on minority groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, uh, how, how do you see that relation? Is so, there one? So basically minority groups traditionally, at least uh, from what I know, um, usually fall in the lower socioeconomic uh, um, class in a sense. And that in turn uh, gives them less opportunity uh, to deal with these issues because they don't have as much time um, to, um, you know, uh, educate themselves on it, first of all. And second of all, um, um, take the time to actually fix these problems with their children, right? Um, And um, that's basically it. Yeah, so you see the intersection between you know, people being first, first generation, uh, and having to, you know, find their way yeah. that is uh, related to, you know, less money to, to spend. Exactly. And therefore, um, and also yeah. all the barriers that Emna talked yeah. about as well. Right. Yeah. Um, first generation parents have to do with a lot more sort of paperwork or at least, at least takes more time because they don't understand the language as well, yeah, etc. Um, I was actually sort of already reading the, the, the papers for my mom when she first came in right. here. And, um, and that took away her time to help me do other stuff, right? Um, so yeah, that's basically the idea. And I was wondering what you guys were thinking, oh, at least before, maybe you yeah. wanted to. No, no, I'm curious you, to hear you, from uh, What you guys were thinking about this issue. Nusha, yeah. you are also a parent, so, yes. uh, as am I. So when yeah. you, you talk about this, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, yes, I am a mom. Um, my daughter is almost seven. And... Um, to be honest, I I decided from very early to give her a phone. Okay. Uh, the phone uh, does have a limited access to uh, certain applications. Okay. And to me, um, the way techno- te- technology is evolving, uh, I see the good stuff in it. And for me, it was important to educate my child from a very early age to be uh, basically tech savvy and mm. to know her way around systems. Uh, but a big, big one. The importance is uh, how to monitor your child's yeah, behavior exactly. and what do they consume, how how long, and what uh, do they learn. So I am very much aware of uh, the benefits uh, this technology has for my child's education and uh, development. However, I do monitor it. So and I was actually wondering, what's then the 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 line that you draw for instance um she she yes. she is currently seven right mm-hmm. but let's say she becomes 10 or 11 or 12 yeah because even people from our age fall victim of these algorithms we have billion dollar algorithms that tap into our primal brain so it's basically you versus a billion dollar algorithm who is Absolutely. going to win the yeah. billion dollar algorithm right so yeah. Even us have trouble doing this. Yeah. So will you stop monitoring them when they're 11 or 12? Or will you just have an open conversation? I'm not yeah. sure, but maybe you haven't even thought about it. No, it? I get it. Basically, to me, um, being a parent, and I think it doesn't matter how old you are when you got a parent. Mm. Parenting is about uh, your child growing, but you as a parent as well. Okay. And you're learning as you go. 
So I might say right now I would do uh, this or that age, but maybe in a few years I will think completely uh, differently about this. However, I'm very uh, curious about um, how, uh, because you mentioned about our focus uh, getting smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there any correlation between that and the fact that this technology has uh, given us access to information a whole lot of information and uh, faster uh, absorbing information. For example, when I was a kid, I'm from 92 and in, I was born in Iran. So basically you can say I'm 40 years old because, <laughs> yeah, you know, technology there at that time wasn't very well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, um, when I needed information, I had to go and grab a book. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, uh, that took longer period of time and it required a longer focus right now if i want to know something i grab my phone go on google i got my information in maybe five seconds so is there any uh, studies that has been done and is there a correlation between the shortening of concentration and the speed of information we consume i'm not sure if you wanted to chime in or oh yeah yeah just finish and then i want to give my own uh, opinion about um so from what I've understood, um, basically apps like Instagram and TikTok, uh, they don't necessarily give you the information that you're looking for, um, but what they're doing is they're training you um, uh, to be happy with these little dopamine hits, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that is one of the biggest factors that decreases sort of your tolerance to boredom, which decreases your um, um, your focus yeah. if, 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 if it needed. Uh, the point about looking uh, information up very quickly is also very interesting. I don't don't know if there's a correlation between that and shortening of focus. Wouldn't surprise me, but there I don't is, know. there is, yeah. there is. Um, however, uh, which very in- what is very interesting on the mechanisms of learning. So if you want to learn something new and you get information very quickly, uh, you actually don't learn it because it basically um, how how the brain works. At least that's what currently hi- hypothesized is. Um, the harder you work to sort of understand a piece of information and to make it fit into your brain, uh, the better you will actually remember it and uh, et cetera. So that's why we're so bad with names because it's just an isolated piece of information and you can't really you know, crack your brain around it yeah. if you use it a lot. But you, I, I, I'm sure we've all had this. You had this problem and you were working for it for hours and you just didn't know. And then suddenly someone came around and said, Oh, it's just this. And even though you didn't solve it yourself, but you know the process. You know the problem and you will remember it forever. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to you're doing your math homework. Oh, I don't know what this is. Let me just open the solution. Oh, I understand the solution. Yeah. And then your no. test comes around and you fail the test exactly. because you didn't think well, about if it. I, if I can, and then I'll, I'll get for to you, Emna, but I, I see a, um, a connection here with the diversity and inclusion work that we're all involved in. Okay. Because uh, what are the questions that we get? Give me a list of the things that I can do. Yeah. Mm, right? Exactly. Give me a, a one a one hour training and tell me what, what I can't say and what I can't say. And then I'm woke. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. And I think, you know, the reason why we are able to talk about this topic in nuance, in depth, is because we live it every single day. Yeah. We know all the different nuances. We know all the different angles all the different side roads yes and so um i really find this point so interesting because it it just shows uh, that the diversity and inclusion work takes effort Mm. of years you know to to get it you can maybe understand it theoretically 
but do you actually get it? Do you understand what it means in practice? Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah. So, Emna, go ahead. So, uh, when you asked about when when do you decide to give your kids your the phone, that, that moment you made me think because I have my neighbors, which are um, like uh, f- between nine to 13 years old. I uh, play with them uh, most of the time. When I find them in the street, we play together. And I also have my little cousins back home, which are the same age. When I see my neighbors, they're always on TikTok and they're always uh, on their phone. Even the parents, they don't allow it. And sometimes I babysit them and then see I see their behavior And if you are allowed for one hour to use the phone, you use that fully hour like this, like scrolling, seeing, uh, like some stuff for your age and and some stuff are not meant to you. And when I call with my little cousins and I see them fighting for their mom's phone to just speak with me and they don't even have their own phone because their parents, they don't allow it and they think... They will be autistic if they are. <laughs> oh my God. This is culturally. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they think, you know, their dad, he said, you know, if imagine I see them all the time like this doing, just stop it. See that moment. I see an autistic child. That's not how it's supposed to be. And uh, your personality uh, will not develop. So you will be the same as you see as the algorithm, but not you. And instead of doing that, uh, they need to go to visit their grannies. They need to go to visit their aunties. They need to go and see other stuff. They need to have tangible stuff. And when I see it from two different perspectives, I think they're a little bit behind how the way they describe to be autistic on the phone. That's not true, of course, but this is how they see it. And they see that impacts your personality, which I believe, which is true. And, and I see the other kids, they are kind of all the same, dressing the same, having the same trend going on, knowing about everything. In a way, you grow up innovative, but in another way, you, are always, you will always be looking for who you are. And they have identity crisis, which is like if we learn from both, we can enjoy both sides and we can like have a personality, but also enjoy watching something else without, uh, uh, with learning, don't get impact or involved, just learn from it and see it, but don't, uh, do the same. So yeah. for me, it's very important to, um, teach your kid. Uh, from a young age because uh, kids understand and their personality are built from three, four years old and they remember everything even they are uh, old later. So you need to tell them it's fine to watch it and it's nice to see it, but be aware this will impact you. Be you, you know, go and play, yeah. grab from the street stuff, do you uh, experience stuff and then uh, you can have both Yeah, if you have the right, right control. So this is how I see it. I think uh, this is, uh, you know, this idea of uh, the best of both worlds yes. is maybe a nice way to wrap up mm. because it is time to wrap up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know we can talk for hours um, and we covered a lot, actually, you know, a lot of different topics, a lot of different angles per topic. Yeah. You know, we talked about Iran and, and how does it relate to uh, the dynamics with the West um, uh, what, what does it mean for people in the diaspora, you know, to relate to what's going on in Iran? We talked about the experiences of, of non-European students finding their way in a European context, but also European students of color <laughs> navigating, you know, what it means to be uh, of color in a Western society. 
and then a completely different, you know, road towards technology yeah. and uh, the impact of that on uh, on our engagement and our uh, um, uh, personal development. Um, and I, I, I think it shows again the beauty of uh, conversations around diversity and inclusion. So thank you all so much for sharing, for reflecting, for, you know, uh, engaging. Um, and um, after hearing all these different angles, I'm curious to hear uh, what your final call uh, to action is for the listeners who might want to get, you know, involved or do something whether it's about Iran, whether it's about, you know, um, non-European students or, you know, uh, technology and, and youngsters. Um, and I'm just going to check in with, uh, with each and every one of you. Yusha, can yes. I start with you? What is your call to action for the listeners? Well, my call to action is to go and sign petitions. Um, I made it easy for you because you can visit my Instagram account in the via the link in my bio you will enter five uh, very important uh, petitions really need your attention to, so it's, uh, and what's your instagram sign. account uh, it's my uh, full name nusha fruzesh at right. nusha fruzesh could you yes. spell it maybe for the listeners yes n-i-u-s-h-a f-r-o-o-z-e-s-h thank you so thank much thank you what's your call to action so uh what i would like to say um guys this is a fact. Just try to learn from all kind of culture, you know, just build up what's the best of that person. What do they do uh, better than you do it? Learn from that and also try to build it, add it, make yourself as a CV and every time add something new from different culture and don't, do not a change, be yourself, but learn uh, to adapt uh, influenced by the other in a good way and do not judge give a space to the other do not judge from the first moment give it more time and you will see at the end we are all human we all, we all have emotions and I don't believe being bad uh, person uh, can be distinguished instant, instantly so just give it, a, give it a time and try it, why not? Thank you, Amna. Slim, your call to action? Um, to simply uh look this up, what I've just been talking about, about technology and the shortening of focus and um, educate yourself on it. Um, there are, there's a interesting book, um, which I forgot the title of, but Deep, Deep Work, I believe it was called Deep Work. Why? I don't remember who, but if you type that in, it's a whole book about it, very interesting, about uh, focus in general. Um, so educate yourself on it for yourself, but also for maybe your children as well. So uh, that's my call to action. Yeah, so get educated, uh, open up and sign petitions. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Slim, Emna, Nusha, for being here. Thank you to the listeners for uh, listening to another episode of the Echo Ambassador podcast, What's on the Agenda? And see you next time. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs>